0: Our guest for today's episode is Courtney Tam. She is graduating from the University of Waterloo in Systems Design Engineering. She has previously interned at Shopify, Microsoft and is currently interning at Cognite as a product designer. I am Mayanka Nilwal and you are listening to YCO.fm. Hey Courtney, uh, welcome to Whiteboard.fm. How are you doing?
1: I'm good. How are you?
0: Good, good. Actually, before we uh, jump to the interview, um, can you tell us uh, about yourselves?
1: Sure. Uh, currently, I am a third year student going to my fourth year at the University of Waterloo, and I study system design engineering. Um, and I will be completing my sixth and final internship at Facebook this summer. Nice.
0: Uh, so, Courtney, uh how did you get into design? How did you get started? Into
1: design? Uh, so, I actually come from a fine arts background. So, in high school, I went to a fine arts school, and I studied that for four years, and I actually thought I was going to go do fine arts afterwards. Um, but then, somewhere around my grade 11th year, I did a computer science course, and I sort of just like fell in love with computer science, and I was like, wow, I think front-end development could be like the best spot for me I can do art and sort of have that visual sense but also do something more technical and obviously I think like becoming an artist is not the best decision in terms of like making a good living so I think uh trying to be realistic with my future I was like okay I think engineering and design or front-end development would be something I should move into so I didn't get into uh product design or UI UX until about my second year um, I tried a little bit with front-end development. Um, it wasn't quite my thing. And then through front-end development, I had a lot of uh, interactions with designers and I got really interested in what they were doing. So I decided to pivot and try design.
0: Nice. So like you mentioned, uh, you are, uh, you started off with a finance background and then you decided that you want to uh, continue uh, with computer science. How was the transition for you?
1: Uh, yeah, so the transition was... A bit tough, I think. So, luckily, I was always quite strong in math. Um, so, I think like switching to the computer science in my intro grade 11 courses, it was like an introduction to Python. It was like really fun and quite easy. Um, but then taking the next leap to like front end development was a bit trickier. It was just mostly like learning stuff on my own, trying to figure out how to build my own website and like going through multiple phases of websites before like landing on like something I'm actually like truly proud of. And then of course getting a internship in that field.
0: Awesome. Courtney, how did you, uh, what made you apply to uh, companies uh, like uh, Microsoft and Shopify?
1: Uh, So Shopify was my first design uh, role that I applied to for a big company. And it was just, so I'm not sure if you're familiar with Waterloo, Um, But we have a pretty big internship program. So we have all these companies that uh, they put their job applications on our portal and then we just get to decide and apply to which ones we want to apply to. And I think at the time Shopify was, everyone was talking about Shopify. Everyone was like, oh, like, I want to work at Shopify, I want to get an internship there. And like, everyone was trying to get these like internships at these bigger companies. Um and I just you know what I had fifty applications so I was like I'm just gonna apply to whatever companies that will take me because it was my third internship at the time and I was just I wanted to get anything in product design field so that I could just try it out. So I applied. Um uh, Microsoft is a little bit different. Um they actually reached out to me to apply uh and then they put my application into the Waterloo portal and then I did the interview through
0: that. Nice, can you tell us more about the process of your uh, interview and recruitment process? At Shopify. Uh, sure,
1: sure. So Shopify, there was initially a design challenge uh, that came with the application. So I completed a design challenge, I submitted my application and then you just wait to hear. I believe you had a few choices for the challenge. Um, if I remember correctly, I did I did some mobile application. I think it had to do with food, not entirely sure. Um, But each company will have like their own list of like different um, projects that you can do your design challenge around. I remember Yelp at the time, um, I did a closet app, something to organize your closet. And then everything is sort of around the same thing where you have to showcase like your process in terms of like, who are your users? Uh, what kind of user journey do you want to design and then break it down into like, what are the necessary uh, steps that a user journey would have to go through your application? What are these key uh, call to actions, stuff like that. And then mapping those out in like uh, some type of information architecture and then doing your mockups, doing your final design, high fidelity, low fidelity. And then if you have the time to do some like animations and to just make a workable prototype uh, so, a lot of the companies I've applied to for where I had to do a design challenge was similar in that sense. Uh, Shopify, after that initial uh, design challenge, I spoke to a recruiter, uh, which we did a life story. So, Shopify has this uh, step before their technical interview where they just talk to you about who you are. So, in that life story, you just talk for an hour about your past and I guess how you came to be what you like to do in your free time uh, just who you are and then after that step there was a technical interview with a design manager and that was the process Um, Microsoft was slightly different this was um, done on the campus so I had two back-to-back whiteboarding challenges Um, and it was just you go through the whiteboarding challenge and then you just wait to hear back
0: yeah nice uh, also, Courtney, uh, during your internships at Microsoft, Shopify, and many other places that you worked at, how do you feel uh, your uh, background in tech has helped you in your skills as a designer?
1: Ah, uh, so I don't think my background in tech helped me too much in those positions, but at my most recent one, which was Cognite, uh, the company in Norway that does a technical platform for uh, oil and gas engineers, that's where. I felt that like my, the content I actually learned in school helped. So we were doing a lot of, um, I was designing an interface to interact with charts and with time series. So having some sort of knowledge about how these time series need to be like understood or read by like uh, our final uh, customer or end client was like much, very helpful that I've seen sort of these formulas that I've seen these curves, these pump pressure curves that I think if I didn't take like a ChemEng course, I would be so confused as to what I was looking at, uh, which definitely makes it a lot harder when you're designing it for someone and you don't even personally understand what you're doing. Um, Of course, like in those situations, you just have to take the time to do the necessary learning um, about their role and about their work to be able to design those certain platforms and interfaces.
0: Makes sense. I also feel that uh, considering you, have uh, since you st- dived into computer science from a finance background, you become uh, more uh, normalized to diving into situations and just uh, trying things out. That it's okay if things, if you don't know, but later on, we can figure it out. That kind of mentality. Yeah.
1: Uh, yeah. So I think actually that just, that mentality starts to develop as you get introduced to new challenges. At first, I think I was very, very scared to like design something I wasn't sure of. I was like, uh, I had such like bad imposter syndrome where it was like, well, I barely have worked in product design and I don't study product design and I don't really know the product and you're thrown into this internship where everyone is just moving so quickly, especially at these like tech companies that you feel so scared. So I guess it's just like taking that leap of faith and being like, okay, I'm going to just try it. And if I fail, then I fail. And then they'll teach you what I did wrong and I'll try it again. And I think a lot of these companies do have such a great culture around learning and failing and trying again, that you just need to approach it with such with don't approach it with a big ego. So when you mess up, don't drill into that mess up and try to make it right. Uh, by like just saying like, oh, yeah, no, this has to be the way because I did this research and like it has to be this design flow, blah, blah, blah versus just taking a step back and being like, no, I made the wrong assumption at the beginning and this is not the design flow I want to go with and just like, I have to start over and just being okay with starting over.
0: Yeah, it's mo- it's a lot about being modest and uh, being yeah. ready to absorb uh, everything that's been uh, given to you. Awesome. Uh, Courtney, can you uh, uh, share and uh, give us a walkthrough on some of the projects that you've worked on at uh, Shopify and Microsoft?
1: Sure. Um, I'll start off with uh, my first one at Shopify.
0: You can share the onboarding project uh, with us.
1: Uh, So just to talk a little bit about this project, um, Hatchful, the interface I was mainly working on was a mobile application. And it's an application where you would input what you want uh, in terms of a logo and then it would provide you with logo options and then you can customize it and create it into something that truly matches your brand. So then you can get funneled into the Shopify platform where your logo would automatically be used in your Shopify store and the branding colors are all implemented into your Shopify theme so that it makes it a very like nice flow. The onboarding process is something I worked uh, with my mentor on uh, throughout my four months. And this was just redesigning how users think about uh, logos and how they onboard through the process. Uh, What's really interesting is that, uh, so this is the original screen. We had a few different uh, categories at which people would input stuff that they. Input uh, fields into the application. So one of them would be like brand values. Um, things that were really interesting about redesigning this is that it was a lot about the psychology of how people perceive a logo, less so about the actual interface and designing these like small interactions. Right. So when you think about a logo, uh, there's a lot of aspects at which you can think about it. You can think about it in terms of brand values, where it's like vintage, creative, modern, elegant. Um, and these all make sense. Right. Like you see a logo and you're like, oh, yeah, that's 100 percent vintage. Um, But in terms of a technical aspect of how you would categorize logos and categorize um, uh, these logos in the CMS system is a little bit different because what I think is vintage may not be what someone else thinks is vintage. So it is quite arbitrary in like how we have our like opinions about certain logos. So it made it very difficult for the application to take in these user inputs and then show them something that's meaningful at the end of the process. So what we tried to do in the redesign is to sort of break down our logo so that it would have a more meaningful uh, impact in terms of funneling and filtering out the different logos at the end. Um, so. Well, let me just go to some of the data. So, this is from Mixpanel. Um, and this is where we would collect some of the data for how our logos and brand values and the inputs in the onboarding would actually impact the outcome. So, as you can see, it's quite variable. Uh, we've realized that, like, creative and innovative, these terms, even though it makes sense when you think of a logo, as a user who may not have any ideas what, like, what, uh, design has an impact on like these words and how like these words mean in design uh, makes it really difficult. So obviously everyone wants a creative logo. No one wants a boring logo. No one wants a bore, uh, a logo that has been like used yeah. by a hundred different companies. Right. So these were sort of issues that we're noticing that people were choosing the exact same uh, brand values and then getting the exact same outcomes and not being happy with them because that's not really what they perceive. Um, so taking this data and sort of uh, figuring out what we can learn from and how we can change it was a big part of this uh, project. So here I just talk a little bit about uh, the product constraints. So because how we are storing these logos in the content management system, we were tagging them with the necessarily in- necessary information so that we can show them at the end. Uh, this tagging system was a big influence in how we actually designed them. So if we give them these brand values lists, which we had, I think about like 20 brand values, you're tagging a lot. Uh, you're putting, let's say this logo could fall into like eight ta- categories, you're tagging eight times. And then this is multiplied towards like thousands of logos. So whoever is actually inputting it is going to have to do a lot of work. Um, so we wanted to make sure that like, not only is this New redesign going to be beneficial for our end user but also the people that are working internally So this is the original step We had uh, your business so you get to pick fashion, healthcare, home, different categories like that brand values which was more about the aesthetics and the looks of the logo and then your business name, logo usage and then finally you get to go pick a template. uh so this is sort of like the breakthrough moment uh we sort of got in front of a whiteboard and we were just discussing how can we actually break down these logos so that it makes sense for our users um they can understand it they can really understand what kind of filters they're applying uh, and how it will impact um this is a big part in terms of decreasing that drop-off rate so a lot of people will input their brand values and then be like these logos that you're, uh, you're showing me make no sense. Like I put vintage, why are you showing me this modern one, right? Yeah. So they have a big disconnect from their, uh, the outcome versus like their inputs. So we really wanted to like decrease that. Uh, to do that, we really broke it down into the more technical aspects of each logo. So we looked at different things in terms of like time, uh, abstractness, uh, influenced by like environment. So stuff like that, until we came up with like four that we found were truly applicable to all types of logos so that you you can apply a binary one or the other for every single logo.
0: So at what point did you guys realize that uh, you need to stop uh, discovering more and more categories and instead narrow it down to the ones which are applicable to all?
1: Um, I think this happened a lot through the user research part. Um, When we were talking to customers and we were talking to um, people who've worked with logos before, um, they gave really great feedback about how that that list that we had was just so long. You get to that page and you have to scroll three times on a mobile screen just to see all of them. And when you're trying to go through something really quick, you don't want to scroll and you don't want to have to think about it. Hmm, do I want? A vintage one or a modern one or do I want both and then just like having all these options is really taxing right and then additionally um, when we did talk to our users the imagery that we used with the brand values so right here um, they were quite confusing they thought that this if I zoom in this was the logo they're like oh I'm a bit confused I thought this was the logo I was getting or this is the pattern I was getting so things were this like this were Coming up in our research, um, that sort of sparked this idea of like, what if we just scrap it and let's start clean? Let's try to figure out a new, um, a new way of approaching this problem. Makes sense. So taking into all this, like, uh, from talking to our customers and talking to general people who work and design logos for a living, um, they helped us to sort of think in a new direction, which led to these four. Uh, These four are um, our main categories that we can use to categorize things in the CMS. So it's very, when you look at a logo and you look at uh, the mass amount of logos we have, you can see very clearly when something is simple or complex Uh, based on like the amount of like lines or styles or uh, little components there are to each logo. You can say that, oh, this one is just very simple. It's like a circle. How simple can it get, right? So it's like very easy to make these differentiations. And then also by putting in the adequate um, imagery, like we have here showing the two versions, people can say, oh yes, like this complex one is something I want. Some people want a very minimal logo. Uh, Some people want something that's a little bit more intriguing so that they can do these like different uh, binary choices. And of course, we always give the option to just skip or to choose both. you can be on your way and see all the options. Hey. Uh So of course, more whiteboarding. Uh, this was my first internship in design. So my mentor really helped me sort of really get into that design methodology where you're just whiteboarding, you're just discussing, you're talking about pain points and uh, friction and all these little technical design things that you have to consider. Uh, so having this, whiteboarding session actually is something I refer back to a lot and just remember sitting in front of this whiteboard with my mentor and having him point out little things and just like discuss with me how to actually approach it and how to solve these problems. So we came to this as our final flow for like the logo screen. Uh, We wanted to keep it pretty quick so I think anything above like five screens for onboarding uh, gets very taxing. You don't know what step you're on and you just get very tired. And you're like, how many inputs do I have to put? I just want to see my like final logo. So just keeping it as minimal as possible in terms of uh, the number of clicks uh, was something we achieved, tried to achieve. And then also, of course, trying to match these designs with our current, um, the rest of the application and applying those components and applying those styles to the screen. And this is our final product. I think looking back though, there's definitely a lot more work that should be done here. Um, There's a few interaction issues with like the pills at the bottom and just navigating between these screens. Um, But for something that it was sort of my like first project, um, it's fun to just sort of look back and see like the steps we had to take just to get here
0: yeah what are your top learnings uh, from your uh, internship at shopify considering it was your first uh, design internship
1: uh top learnings um i would say the first one is the amount of people that are involved in very small features that you can get involved so i think a big part of this is we talk to so many people so many people you don't think you need to talk to Uh, I talked to logo designers, clients, which are the obvious ones, the technical people that worked with the actual implementation of the CMS, um, and then also content strategists. So talking to content strategists has never, like, I was like, why, right? Um, Why would I need to talk to a content strategist? But they helped me understand, like, the choice of words and how to actually um, make this screen and make these uh, features work in multiple languages. So if we have multiple words per screen, then that's more to translate. That's uh, a lot harder. And then having, let's say here, we write what style do you prefer? So at first we were going to use different questions and different prompts per screen, but not only is that more text, but also you lose the focus between the actual tiles because you're providing more words for someone to read. So I think like, Getting that insight by just talking to a content strategist made me realize a lot of things. So, definitely, the number one learning is just talk to everyone. And even if you don't think that they're going to be helpful, just talk to them. They're probably going to be helpful. Yeah. Uh, other learnings, leverage the technical people as much as you can. Um, I think. It's very easy to just dive into design and designing the screens without realizing those technical constraints. I didn't realize that there was like the CMS system that has to be tagged, that these logos had to be tagged until maybe halfway through the process. And I was like, oh, damn, this changes everything. But it's like if I talked to them at the beginning and got that more technical knowledge down in terms of how things are being implemented, that would change a lot. And then my third learning is that
0: Mm-hmm. You don't need to forcefully uh <laughs> <okay. Yeah. laughs> come on. I
1: just leave it there then.
0: Okay, awesome. And I, I agree actually, copywriting uh, for starters is a great skill uh for a designer as well, because they it helps mm-hmm. them or uh, be in control of what uh they can direct the user's focus towards. So completely mm-hmm. with that. Yeah.
1: And also including them at the beginning, just makes it easier near the end that they don't have to scrape through your application to say, oh no, this has to change because of these issues with content. And you're like, oh, well, I was so set on it because I finished the designs and now I have to change it. So just bringing them in early. Right. Good.
0: Awesome. Uh, also, uh, can, uh, can you tell us more about uh, your uh, project at Microsoft, which was the smart taggle system?
1: Okay, so at Microsoft I was part of the R&D organization and we worked on just new features that we wanted to push through, the, through older products just to keep things innovative. So something we were working on at the time was a tagging system, which I think makes a lot of sense since I had some uh, past experience in tagging that I was put onto the team. Um, but we were building a plugin for Microsoft Word, PowerPoint, just the Office Suite, that enable tagging. So tagging was a very, let me see if I can find it. Tagging was a very, very hidden feature. I think a lot of people didn't know that you could apply tags to a document, um, which isn't surprising because of how the interface is actually designed. You have to do either multiple clicks to get to the tagging section. And even when you do, inputting the tags is a bit cumbersome um, it's just like a very small text box. And then when you keep typing, it just like hides certain text, and it's just like a bit clunky and I, um, that has made the feature very hidden. So to do this, we wanted to bring tagging to the front panel uh, while you were working. Um, what was really fun about working in the R&D for is that we got to actually think crazily out of the box. And I think that's not something we do a lot. Um, just like if you're gonna push a feature really quickly you don't have time to think about um, new interactions that might be a little bit more revolutionary or a bit different and uh, because you just don't have the time and also there may not be that technical um, support to actually build these out and to test it out but here we yeah think about it just like consider all these new options and consider how things can be done so some parts. I can show you Uh, some I guess like very classic low fidelity wireframes and uh, thinking about how things can be done. Um, So these are just possible options like of course a pop-up modal versus a side panel versus in the document actually typing the tags using let's say like you quickly type hashtag and then you write the tag and it's automatically applied. Uh, so these are just sort of the ideas we were just pitching at the beginning before actually coming up with something that we can deliver. So for this, um, we were we, I had the opportunity to work with a few different companies. So we worked with Forster Researcher, uh, which is based out in Boston, and then also LL Bean, uh, which is based in Maine. Um, and getting to do this was very, very interesting and a, definitely like an eye-opening experience. So with these customers, we held some uh, user walkthroughs, some uh, user surveys and interviews, and then just also uh, shadowing them and seeing their workflow. Um, So companies like Forrester Research, Um, they have roles where all they do is to tag a document. They have an intern that I got to talk to and her whole internship was getting a document, tagging it, getting a new document and tagging it. And that was very interesting because I didn't think that tags were that important, but force researcher has hundreds and thousands of research documents that they store. Uh, they do research for other companies, but then they also leverage the research that they have done for other companies for their new projects. So being able to access the different files really quickly, um, is very important to them. And to do that, they decided to use tags, but because of the very hidden tagging system they decided to put the tags in the top uh, header section of each document and then they would use that as like their tagging system which I'm still like maybe a little bit confused as to why that was chosen but that's how they did things and they found it very difficult to find things of course because you have to go into the document then look at the tags and be like okay this document is exactly what I need or it isn't what I need and I have to go into another document look at the tags and figure that out. So being able to talk to someone that actually is directly impacted by your product um, is quite fun and very eye-opening. So here we looked at different ways of of, uh, how tags are used. So uh, things like discovery, suggestions, search, people, groups, versioning. Uh, These are very different types of tags, but they were all grouped under tags. Um, So of course, if you tag something version 1.2, but you also tag something, Courtney, because I'm the author, is sort of like very distinct entities. But uh, people didn't care, and they still had, they just tagged it as anything that could possibly relate to the document. Um, so that was something to take into consideration. Additionally, um, this is very important. Um, it's something I didn't really think about until probably near the end. but as a lot of big companies have it. It's an ecosystem of products. It's not just a single one. And as you're designing a feature that may just be for Word because you're just doing a small R&D project in this one application, you have to see how it scales, how it grows, and how it, it will be applied in all these other products and see how things um, will, will relate to each other. And at the end of it, see how you close the loop. So in this case, seeing how someone will actually like find that document and use it, put it into a different office folder, share it with these groups of people and then have let's say management turn it into a email broadcast. So this is like a big loop that you don't think of but that's how people use the products and that's how we should design for them. Um, another part that I think <laughs> A lot of people try to either ignore or not want to deal with, but it's very necessary and it is accessibility. Uh, Personally, when it comes to accessibility, I'm just like, oh, okay, time to figure out the screen uh, screen reader labels and how to actually interact with like tabbing and enters and all the hotkeys. Uh, And this is something that Microsoft is very strongly, uh, strong about they make sure every application and everything that they push out is accessible. Um, so having this insight and being able to work within these guidelines is something I think everyone should at least try to use in every project. Right. I should still try to use them in every project, but it is very tough. And I get that. But I think if you just put that extra one or two days to think about it and to, at the beginning of the project, to really like work with it, yeah. Um, it'll go a long way. So when we came to our final product that we actually launched, it was uh, very simple where you would just add these tags, uh, within the four months, it was a bit slow getting code ready and pushed. So as a part of the design team, we created the explorations for the future as how things can grow. Um, so something we looked at was these tags set. Uh, this is a big part that we talked about previously where it's like versioning versus uh, content versus authors, uh, related content, stuff like this, and be, being able to do things really quickly. So when we talked to people from finance at Forrester Research, they also use tags, but in a much different way. So they had their only finance-specific tags, but um, they would apply to almost every single document. So it would be very cumbersome if you had to go into every single document, type, every single tag or copy and paste every single, uh, tag into this interface. So being able to talk to them and being like, Oh, you know what, if you're applying the same ones to every single document, why don't we just make it very easy for you to mass tag things and do things at a much, uh, faster speed. So this was that sort of exploration. Uh, the next one is types. Um, what was fun here is that we got to think about, um, Typing interactions, which I think is very common in newer products such as like Slack. You type colon and then you get your options for your emojis. Mm. Uh, But a lot of older products don't have these interactions because it's hard to learn, especially for the older generations that are using the products. They're not used to these very shortcuts to doing things. So being able to teach them these um, patterns. Uh, is a big part of the interface, and being able to guide them through and onboard them onto these uh, shortcuts uh, is something we should always try strive for. Uh, so this, this is just quickly the first run experience, having to actually download and, uh, not download, well, you have to download the plugin and then just onboard through it. Right. The general experience, how it would look, how it would feel, how it would work. And that's pretty much it. So a big part of ours was that we actually used um, we would parse the text and then generate some recommendations. Uh, what was really interesting is that text parsing is not so great. Uh, you get a lot of weird, you get a lot of weird tags that are not applicable and not that shouldn't be recommended as tags. But having to work with this sort of tech staff and being able to Say, okay, we have to use this because this is part of our technical constraints and what the technical team wants to use. And then being able to actually showcase something that's meaningful, um, you get a bit of a disconnect there because as, let's say, content strategists and designers who are trying to recommend something meaningful and you're not getting the output that you want from the technical team that are using uh, this black box of uh, text parsing, you get a little bit... Uh, some difficulty there yeah. but uh, trying to meet in the middle and just trying to figure out what we can do to make the experience as best as possible is very important
0: makes sense uh, also Courtney uh, like one thing I've noticed is uh, previously you uh, worked uh, at Shopify which was a consumer app and uh, mm-hmm. uh, you worked uh, on a smart tiger system uh, which was a part of the an enterprise product so uh, what differences or nuances have you felt uh, in terms of your design thinking and your approach in working
1: um what changes i would say not actually that much changes so with this one you do have to work within microsoft's design system fluent uh and it's very strict uh we aren't able to sort of make new Uh, entities and make new components, versus in Shopify, Hacksful, we were able to design new components as we needed them, and sort of, we were a small team, so we are able to just push things much quicker. Here, waiting for code to be uh, completed and also ready to be launched is a much slower process, so getting that feedback is a lot slower, Um, so you will find yourself being a little bit stagnant at times. Uh, waiting for things to be completed so that you can move on to the next step. And I think at that stage, it's just, I had to uh, figure out how to push things faster without having to rely on um, making the actual product and testing with the actual product. So definitely leveraging those um, in-person conversations with the end client and testing with like workable prototypes was a lot more important than um, in Microsoft, uh, in Shopify where we were able to just go things so quick, do things so quickly, build things so quickly that like the workable prototypes weren't as necessary because the development team would push it almost weekly. So you can just test it and reiterate and do things a lot faster. Right.
0: Awesome. Uh, Courtney, uh, can you uh, tell us uh, more about what you've been doing currently at Cognite?
1: Yeah, of course. So this is, I don't have the case study up on my website yet, but uh, I have all the design files here. So I can just show some of them here. Uh, at Cognite, we, I worked on Asset Data Insight, which is a technical platform for oil and gas engineers. And how they work, how they use it is that they input their uh, data, which is usually in the form of time series, and they manipulate the data to show them meaningful results so that they can do work on, let's say certain pipes, if they're realizing that there's like an issue last month that they can make these um, optimization changes in the actual oil rig. So uh, one of the big projects I had was for thresholds, once it loads, this was very interesting because I messed up many times. Um, We wanted, we tried to leverage at least I tried to leverage in the entire process a uh, different design theory that would make the application better and the interactions better. So I wanted it to be fast, but visually um, give visual feedback and to help the user learn through the process so that they can work with it um, because it is a bit of a complex uh, concept. Right. So, all these things that were like, okay, let's apply these. Uh, let me just go to it so this is how the time series looks um you would add in data different time series and they would be associated to certain types of equipment and then you would have to be able to apply a threshold so thresholding can be quite complex you can have a very simple uh traffic light system where it's just a red yellow green section you can have bandwidths where it's like top and bottom middle section Or you can even just have uh, in scatter plots a square on the page that's the threshold. So seeing how these different thresholds would be applied can be quite complex because you have to have someone to understand what the threshold means and how the threshold will interact with the chart, but also be able to apply it so that it's exact. The first step of it was quite clunky. We had this setup where you would select the plot in this case, it's on a scatter plot, so you select this plot. You select the line type and then the threshold value. And there was just a lot of clicking and a lot of dropdowns and a lot of like different options that you can have, which are all necessary, right? So we want, because it's so complex, we wanted to make sure that each field that you're inputting was um, very clear to the user, that they weren't confused as to how to change something. So having splitting it up in these four steps was like, exactly what we thought we wanted because these users needed to understand. But as we talk to some of our end users, they're putting thresholds on hundreds of charts, each chart with a couple thresholds. So you're doing this multiple, multiple times and having four different steps is a bit cumbersome. And then additionally, uh, as threshold gets more complex, uh, having something very clunky requires for more scrolling and more reading and more understanding. So, this will be very heavy cognitively. Right. So, moving, having to scrap this, we tried something a little bit more succinct. So, this is uh, more similar to how things would look in like Excel. You would define certain um, items, like if it's a red region, above, below, in between, and then just a marker of where it would land. And then also, of course, having the necessary visual feedback on the chart will help users understand what's being happening, what's happening. Right. And then in terms of thresholds, we also have to think about the interactions with the chart. So of course, as you would drag the handle up and down, uh, things need to change correspondingly on like the side panel. So doing these smaller interactions are very important. And just figuring out how things would lay out on a very complex screen like this, can be a bit tough. So moving on, uh, after this project, we had this concept of convergence of charts. So charts is something I think I became very passionate about over the last eight months maybe. Um, And I say that because there's just so much you can do with charts. Yeah. So, things we were looking at that weren't exactly uh, apparent at the beginning were how things are grouped and how things will change when you shift them to a scatter plot. Um, so, this brought up a lot of edge cases that it's very hard to see when you're not an experienced designer. Uh, and my mentor ex- helped me extremely when it came to pinpointing these smaller edge cases. So, certain things like you have a plot group which are related. And as you turn into a scatter plot, one is randomly selected, usually the first one as your x axis, and then the rest of the data is interpolated for the y axis. But if you have a plot group that is just a solo axis, then you would have an empty scatter plot. So these different inputs uh, and corresponding outputs is very important to think about. And I think just like this project made me more interested in design uh prior to this i felt a little bit stuck in what i was doing and i wasn't too satisfied with the work i've been doing um i was a bit bored and i think like exploring a more technical product a product i don't think i anyone or even would think about designing usually in terms of when you start out in ui ux um it was a lot of fun and i think like after doing this project i want to continue in a more technical design field and working on projects like this.
0: Nice, absolutely. Because a lot of uh, people who will be watching this, uh, they might not understand this because many of them do not, might not have the technical background or the knowledge about data analytics mm-hmm. and AI and a lot of other
1: factors. And I think you don't need the, you don't need the, you don't need to be scared about not having that uh, knowledge. I definitely don't have this knowledge. Uh, I mean, we touch on it a little bit in engineering, pump pressure curves. like that Uh, but I was a bit shocked at uh, how things in school are actually being applied and as we were doing this project I was like oh this kind of makes sense and a lot of things that didn't make sense you just have to learn you just have to do some research talk to some people and try it out
0: nice Uh, I had a follow-up question uh, with what you just said Courtney that uh, how do you select the kind of projects you want to work? Uh, at because uh, like and how do you dive into situations like just you said you do not have the knowledge regarding AI and data science or data analytics and such but still you were ready to just try things out what happens
1: um for my past internship I didn't actually have that much of a choice in terms of which projects to work on um certain projects I would see be happening with, around the team and I would just ask like hey like I'm really interested in this could I please like sit in the next meeting or learn a little bit about it or work on it and I think a lot of teams are very open to you as an intern just jumping in and being enthusiastic and asking to do more work I don't think anyone's gonna say no to an intern trying to do more work um and for the second question was it could you repeat the second question? The second
0: question was uh, How did you decide, or uh, uh, that even though you don't have the technical knowledge, let's just dive mm. in and see uh, how things work out?
1: Uh, how to dive in? I would say read. That's like a lot of it. Um, it's just doing the research, doing the readings, and just trying to understand it as well as you can. And I think if you aren't able to understand it fully, it's okay because a lot of these projects and a lot of the end users are equally as confused about the topics. A lot of people, even though you think they're a very technical end user, they're probably a little bit confused and having that sort of novice insight and outlook onto the project may actually be beneficial. right? So you have to think about the range of users. So you have people that are beginners, who don't really know about AI or uh, data analytics. Maybe it's their first job, first time on the job uh, at the company you're pushing the product for. Or they've been working at that company for 10 years and they work with data every single day. You have this big range. So it's okay if you are still at the knowledge of that new uh, fresh person at the company, right? Um, And as you do the project and as you work through the issues, you start to gain knowledge without even realizing it. I think just coming across those small design issues and interaction issues, you realize, oh, maybe I should read up on this little part because it'll help me understand how to design this interaction. Or, oh, I'm missing this sort of information about uh, data and why data does this in this uh, format. Uh, Let me read up on that. So I think it is just something you should try to read up on if you can and if not just let it grow organically. You will pick up the knowledge very quickly as you work in an internship.
0: That's great advice. Uh, Courtney, uh, so if I had to ask you what were what are your top three learnings from your entire design journey so far?
1: Uh, Top three learnings. Mm. Conflicting design Theory, theory will always be tough to work with. Sometimes it's like you're always trying to maximize, uh, you want to try to optimize the amount of uh, clicks, right? You want it to make sure it's really low and very easy. But then also you may, in that sense, you may uh, surrender some of the actual knowledge and uh, thought that the user needs to put into it. And I think I found this out at Shopify, the onboarding project, um, by making it a lot faster, People don't think as much, and then they don't get the right results, and then they aren't happy with it, so they leave the application. But if you sort of impose friction at certain parts, so that they're able to stop and think, um, that will be helpful. Um, So definitely, maybe don't don't always take these design theory rules to 100%, because it's not always the case, and you always have to juggle them. Uh, Another learning is that to leverage your personality as much as you can or even don't lose your personality i think that was something i struggled with a lot especially designing my portfolio i found myself going on dribble and looking at all these other people's portfolios and being like oh i'm gonna copy that and then i build it and i'm like i'm not even happy with it because it's not me right um and it's very easy to sort of adapt another person's style and take it on as your own which is not a bad thing i think like you do this a lot uh, unintentionally, but also just like figuring out what your style is exactly and how you want to design certain components and the interface so that it feels like your own work is very important. And as an intern, it might, you tend to uh, get lost in that a lot. You tend to see other people and other people's work as like the goal. So you start to like design and make it look like theirs and feels like theirs until it's no longer yours so i think just like taking a step back and finding out who you are as a designer and designing something that's your own is always important
0: that's awesome advice uh courtney uh what are your future plans like where do you see yourself uh, or where do you want yourself uh, as a designer
1: uh future plans so of course i have the internship this summer And I'm going to see, I'm not exactly too sure what team or project I'm doing, but hopefully it's something technical and something I will enjoy. And if not, then of course trying to reach out to other teams and seeing like if I can work on another more technical project, hopefully with more data. I'm very interested, especially I think after um, Cognite, just seeing how to visualize data and how to showcase data has been something that sparked my interest. And I think moving on into the future, I want to try other parts of design. Um, So designing physical interfaces is something I'm really interested in. Uh, If it's like a dashboard, a physical dashboard, or even like, um, let's say an interactive mall map. So stuff like that is something I don't have any insight into. And it would just be fun to just have a project to see if I like it.
0: That's great. Wish you the best, Courtney. This brings us to the end of our interview. It was great knowing your uh, story and your experiences. You got, you, like your projects are amazing and I wish you the best.
1: Thank you so much. Thank you for having me.
0: Awesome. Thanks for listening to this episode and I hope you liked it. To check out other episodes and clips from the interview, subscribe to the whiteboard.fm YouTube channel. Feel free to share your favorite parts of the interview and don't forget to tag us. This podcast is a part of the 10K Designers Network. You can check out other projects on 10kdesigners.com.